I remember standing on top of the podium and thinking to myself, okay, this is the moment I've dreamt of. This is where I've been trying to be, you know, my whole life. And I didn't even have to step off the podium before the question of, well, where do I go from here sort of popped into my head. Welcome to the Artist Becoming Podcast. Hey, Jess. Hey, Shelby, a five, six, seven, eight. Join us in weekly conversations with performing artists across stages, studios, rinks, fields, and screens. Every conversation, a chance to dive deep into the story of their becoming. All right, Shelby, let's get on into it. This episode's conversation features our guest, Meryl Davis an Olympic gold medalist ice dancer, writer, and a true artist becoming. Here we go. Hello, everyone. We would love to welcome Meryl Davis to Artist Becoming. Meryl, we are so beguiled by you. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be with you. Well, Meryl, you are a household name. You need no introduction, but um, just for a little bit of grounding star stardom context, first and foremost, you are you. You are a super <laughs> beautiful human and artist. And as part of your human being and expression, you have taken and shared your talents across the world's stages, specifically the ice of the ice variety. Um, <laughs> Olympic medalist, multi-world champion, former competitive American ice dancer, among many other roles that you embody. And as our first Olympic uh, figure skater, as a guest artist, we are so grateful to hear of your story and hear of your perspective. Um, along the journey of your becoming. And so to ground our conversation a little bit in your history, we'd love for you to share some of the defining moments of your artistic and athletic journey that, you know, informed who you are, informed how you showed up for your profession and perhaps guided you along the path to where you are seated today. Sure, well, thank you so much for that amazing introduction. I'm very honored to be your first figure skater. Um, I'm sure not the last, as we were introduced through a mutual friend who is also a wonderful Olympic figure skater and fantastic human. Um, And I also really love, Shelby, the way you started the intro by saying you are you. And I think it's so powerful because so often we introduce ourselves or, or we are introduced to others via like what we have done or, um, you know, we lead with aspects of our, our careers. And it's so powerful to, to acknowledge that we lead first with who we are as people. So um, that's one of the reasons I'm so excited to talk to you both today and just, you know, be introduced to artists becoming. It's so powerful. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that um, I... Wait, can you ask the question again? Because I got so excited about what we were talking about. I lost track of what I needed to be answering. <laughs> yeah, happily. <laughs> Just take us a little bit through the journey that led you to where you are today. Sure. Some okay. of the, like, people or points that really defined you as an artist. Gotcha. Yes. Okay. So sorry, got sidetracked. I got too excited. Um, yes. So I started skating when I was five. And um, I think that... For me, I I sort of fell in love with the ice immediately. I fell in love with the ability to just sort of flow and continue that momentum and just float across the ice. And that that sense of freedom you can have as the wind is blowing in your face. And um, 
thankfully, I'm happy to say that I, I'm still so in love with that feeling to this day. And that's something that I don't take lightly, the ability to, my ability to have um, held on to that feeling. Um, but I, looking back on my career, I think that I just am so fortunate and I'm so lucky to, you know, have fallen in love with something at a young age and sort of been able to turn it into a lifelong passion, into a career, and to, to have had people along the way, namely my parents, of course, who supported that love and passion um, and that joy above all else. Um, I think so often it's easy to lose track of why we're doing something. And, and I know that it was certainly difficult for me to maintain that perspective and um, over my many, many years of competitive figure skating. But, um, you know, I had so many wonderful supporters and, and um, you know, friends and family along the way who helped me enjoy the process of, of becoming an Olympian and, and what it meant to be an Olympian. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would just say that I fell in love with figure skating and, um, I, I, it's so difficult to imagine my life without it, imagine who I would be without the influence of figure skating and sport on my life, because it's been such a part of my life, um, since I was a small child. <laughs> wow. I, you just, several things you just said sparked several questions that I want to dive into, but I first want to acknowledge how moved you were by Shelby's initial introduction so much so that it was more important to you than the, the question, the acknowledgement of who you are as a human being was more important to you than like, let me go from the beginning and tell you, you know, what I've done. And it's a conversation that's become very resonant through all of these guest artists that we've had is this sort of identity crisis or I, or this moment on that path when you, when you have the gift of being so in love with something that's so all encompassing and how you begin to be very valued for that very, um, structured in that identity and in pursuing that. And that perhaps there's a moment where you're starting to look at, well, who am I, who am I on the ice? Who am I beyond the ice? And, I'm curious to know if you experienced any struggle or challenge in that understanding of your identity and if there was a moment when that that surfaced for you and how you stepped into the power you have now where clearly you're so embodied in who you are as Meryl and and then we can go into the Olympic element of that but I'm curious to know just your your heart on that. Sure. It's true. Um, yeah, I don't think anyone has ever, I've, I've never been introduced to anyone and I've done a lot of interviews over the years. No one has ever, that, that notion of who you are as a person leading is so powerful and it, it almost threw me in the most beautiful way or it did throw me in the most beautiful way, but I definitely experienced, um, you know, it was very difficult to, identify who I was as a human, you know, who I am as Meryl outside of, um, you know, what was happening on the ice. And I think probably one, um, one of, of many parallels between any performing art, um, you know, dance and, and figure skating is that it is a judge sport. And so I think from a young age, you sort of learn that the opinions of others are extremely important and they define oftentimes your success. And it's, it's difficult to separate 
how you are defined by that, you know, the opinions of, of others, you know, your success in the sport, what you are or are not doing on the ice. How do you separate that, um, you know, from, from who you are as a human, who you are as a person? And that's very much the work that I've been doing um, since stepping away from competition is figuring that out. I mean, I had just the most incredible competitive career, you know, from my own experience, you know, having the opportunity to work with amazing coaches, to have the support of my family, to have an incredible partner, working hard and slowly building from one step to the next. I mean, it's in so many ways, it, it is the fairy tale that I dreamt of as a child. And, and I'm so lucky to have had that. And yet now as an adult sort of thinking, how do I move forward in my life? How do I embrace happiness and what does success mean to me um, is something that I've spent a lot of time doing. I, I stepped away from competition. My, my skating partner, Charlie and I, who have been skating together now for close to 25 years, um, not wow. competitively anymore. I know, long time. And it's shocking because I'm not a day over 24. So it's, <laughs> I'm like, I'm doing yeah. the math in my head, girl, and it's not adding up. Started it's, out of the yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's so crazy to say, but um, yeah. And I think that, so we stepped away from competition um, after the 2014 Olympics. And it had been particularly from our first Olympics in 2010 through our second Olympics um, in 2014, it was just, we lived, breathed, ate, figure skating, and we left no stone unturned. We did everything we possibly could to achieve our dream, you know, of standing on top of the Olympic podium. And I remember standing on top of the podium and thinking to myself, okay, this is the moment I've dreamt of. This is where I've been trying to be, you know, my whole life. And I didn't even have to step off the podium before the question of, well, where do I go from here sort of popped into my head because I had planned my whole life to, to try to get to that moment and to live that moment. And you're sort of, it's this out of body, you know, you're listening to the national anthem and you're like, this is what I've been envisioning since I was eight but I have no idea what happens after this. <laughs> and um, who am I as a person? What is my life when I step off of this podium? And I, you know, you have a physical therapist, you have trainers, you have coaches, you have everything is at your disposal to be able to achieve that goal that you've been preparing for. And then all of a sudden you're, you're kind of on your own. Like what, what's your next dream? What's your next goal? Where are you going? You know, good luck. Um, so it was, it was really jarring and I definitely dealt with, um, I would say a little bit of depression and a lot of anxiety following, um, the Sochi games in 2014 and just figuring out what do I want out of life? Yeah. Um, you know, where do I go from here? And so I so admire, as I said before, what you guys are doing, um, to talk about not just what we do on stage or on the ice, but who we are as people. And I think having those conversations will help us to embrace our, our identities from more of a holistic perspective instead of, um, you know, the visual, like what do people see as we're performing? I have full body chills thinking of you standing on that podium and that's what's going through your head. And I guarantee you are not the only person to have done that, but rare are the people that bring that into conversation and discuss. And Jessica and I, one of our mentors um, was just recently telling us about this concept called the progress principle. I'm not sure if you've heard of it, but in psychology, it's, it's understood as, you know, we, 
we dream of that moment. We dream of that standing on the podium moment, right? And when we get there, we experience feelings of elation or joy, right? And what's happening on a neurological level is your brain is releasing stress. And so a lot of the sensation that we're feeling is not actually just full embodied joy. It's just the relief of stress, which in our body can manifest and our hearts can manifest as like, whew, like I did it, you know, but, but also at the same time, it's just like your body's like, whew, shedding, shedding everything that it took to get to that moment. Because in that moment, your goalpost moves like, and in that moment, you took this, this state, the podium and your goalpost moved, shifted before you even stepped down. And it's, I mean, it's just so rare to even get to that mountaintop. And then if you do, that is the next question. And I know there's been a lot of exposure and spotlight on the mental health hardships of making it to that level. Um, I haven't yet watched weight of gold, but I know that that documentary came out and you know, a lot of what we're doing is trying to provide community and safe containers for conversations, not only that resonate with people that also provide almost proactive ways of, um, healthy coping with what all of these, like all of these things that we have in common, which is identity crisis, um, mental health suppression. We're all technicians. Like we are at this point in the game, we're technicians physically. We could do it in our sleep, but what we can't do in our sleep and what we haven't been supported from day one is the mental, emotional, spiritual component alongside the, the sport, the art. And, um, I guess just kind of just to speak to that, the idea of coping with pressure at an Olympic level, um, there's healthy coping, there's maladaptive coping. Can you chat with us if you're, if you feel comfortable a little bit about your relationship with that, with dealing, processing, metabolizing stress, pressure, things that maybe worked for you, things that you learned from that didn't. Sure. Um, oh gosh, I just love this chat so much and I can't wait to follow you guys along on all your next ones because it's just so, um, the, the pursuit of fulfillment and happiness as opposed to success is something that I've, of course, thought a lot about over these last, you know, seven plus years since um, the Sochi game. So it's just, it's so easy, even this um, psychological idea that you brought up that I hadn't heard of before, just to hear about these this study and the work that's being done is so powerful. But yeah, I mean, I think that um, I from a very young age, I, like so many performers, so many athletes was a perfectionist. And I think that I realized somewhere deep in my being that being hard on myself yielded results. You know, I never acknowledged really the goods from good for more than a couple of seconds or a couple of moments, no matter how how much good there was, or, you know, maybe it was a a win at a competition, or maybe it was a a new trick or a new skill that, you know, I'd made progress on. I never allowed myself to linger for there for very long. And um, I think that is something that um, I definitely, you know, oftentimes I, I wonder, like, what would you go back and tell your former self? I think that is something that's a piece of advice that I would go back and tell myself is linger on the good and, and embrace that, you know, and, and sit with that for a little bit longer. But, you know, I realized it was functional being hard on myself and focusing on the errors, focusing on the problems, focusing on the shortcomings helped me address those quickly and, and move forward and get better, you know, one step at a time. And so um, I think that, 
being able to sort of get a lay of the land in terms of, okay, how am I performing on the ice? What's going well? What's not going well? And really honing in on what I wasn't doing well. Um, it helped me in so many ways get to where I did in figure skating. And yet from a holistic wellness perspective, there wasn't a lot of self-love happening. And, and I think that balance is so difficult to find. It's so difficult to achieve. And I also think that I, much like dance, I wanted to put forth the image of strength and um, capability. And so I think that that is something that I very much kept to myself. You know, I never, these conversations I think are so powerful and yet I didn't have a lot of them as I was competing because that pursuit of, you know, perfection or that pursuit of strength and, and whatever it was I was trying to portray on the ice was the goal. And so I very rarely sat with that, like, how am I feeling? How is my mental health? You know, that's, that's just not really something that I spent a lot of time thinking about. And um, yeah, I mean, I would just say that that balance is something that I think for the most part eluded me. And I, and I, part of the reason I'm so passionate about having these conversations is I, I had just an amazing career as, as a person, I had supporters, I had a family who loved me, you know, and they made it so clear, abundantly clear, you can fall on your face, you can come last every single time, and we would not, we couldn't love you more, we will not love you any less, of course, and so knowing that it was so difficult for me, I can only imagine you know, people who don't have access to supportive family members or people who, you know, don't have access necessarily to, you know, the best coaching and things like that. Um, I can only imagine how difficult that would be because I know even with all of my resources, um, it was very difficult for me to work towards finding that balance. And I'm only now finding it or really feeling like I'm sort of getting into the groove of, of that balance um, as, you know, a 30 something retired Olympian. Wow. You know, it's something that you're, you're speaking to two things that I think Megan Fairchild, um, principal with New York City Ballet spoke to it a bit, which was that the stoicism, like that, that having to have that outer shell of strength and grit and not really a lot. And that's all of us that have this perfectionist mindset, um, which is really hard because it makes you real. It really is like a solo game because you're projecting outwardly. I've got it together. Everything's fine. I'm going to grin and bear it. Um, but what I'd love to ask you about is in regards to kind of the second part in, in the finding of this balance, um, because Shelby and I have spoken about it, but something that's so hard for so many performing artists is that when you leave that career that you're so, passionate about that you've committed all of yourself to there is that long period that you've kind of mentioned um where you're you don't know what's next you're dealing with a little bit of anxiety or stress or just discomfort in the release of something that you loved while trying to embody all that you could be or could become where have you how has that been for you since leaving since retiring what has that experience been for you in finding balance outside of the ice and in all that you are? And were there certain things that kind of came along that lit you up in a new way? You know, talk us through that experience. 
Absolutely. Um, I think time has been huge for me. I mean, I, I, <laughs> even when I was in middle school, high school, you know, I spent a lot of time thinking about, okay, well, I, you know, I'm not going to be a figure skater forever. What I want to do, you know, when that's done. And, and that notion became this sort of like intangible, like, okay, this, this idea of someday, but the someday kind of hit me all at once. Once um, Charlie, yeah. my skating partner, and I stepped away from competition in 2014, even though I really thought I, I had been doing this great job of preparing myself for it. And, you know, I had a social life and I had gone to college and all this stuff. Um, and I thought, oh yeah, like I'm, I'm well-rounded. I'll be fine. Like I have all these dreams and all these goals, but the reality of how deeply I, um, you know, define myself by what I did and, and who I was in the skating world didn't really hit me until, I realized that I was no longer a competitive figure skater. And, and that really took a lot of time for me to sit with and have a lot of conversations and sort of let it percolate on its own. You know, it was something that I couldn't force. And I think that for me, spending time outside with my, my friends and family and feeling small was the best thing for me. And, and still to this day, you know, when my husband, my dog and I go on hikes, I feel so myself because I, I think that growing up in a, you know, um, a performance-based sport or, you know, uh, being a performing artist, that feeling of external validation and someone, whether it's your coach or judges or audience approves of what you're doing becomes the way that you, I think, I mean, I hate to project this onto others, but for me, I think it was a part of how I validated my own existence, you know, right. that whether it was a literal applause or, you know, a figurative, you know, applause or pat on the back, getting that approval was so important to me being valuable as a human or having any sort of worth that I think it took me many, many years, you know, really only in the last year or two, did I, do I feel as though I can be completely myself and love who I am regardless of who is or isn't watching or approves of, of what I'm doing? Um, and I think that removing the noise, it, it's almost an addiction. I mean, it's yeah. so difficult to exist without that source of reassurance or validation that you've had your whole life. And so to really remove it and then have to rely on the people who love you, um, you know, regardless of, of all of the fluff and, and sparkles or whatever it is, to re sort of calibrate and reassess um, who you are as a person, what does success mean to you? And, and what does happiness mean? Because I think so often as performing artists or as athletes, <clears throat> the idea of success and happiness sort of become one and the same and they're not at all the same thing. Yeah. And I think for me, I, I really identified success or like my, per or my personal happiness with my own success. Like that was my key to happiness was mm -hmm. success on the ice. Um, and only, you know, years later do I realize how um, misguided that was. And not to say that I, I just had the most amazing experience and I learned so much, you know, in my career competing and, and on the ice and I have such beautiful memories. And yet I think that my greatest success now is realizing that those successes or the failures along the way have absolutely no bearing and had absolutely no bearing on who I am as a person. <clears throat> 
and the people whom I'm closest to have really helped me to um, realize that, I guess, over the course of, of time. Meryl, there's a thousand things you just said that I want to deeply unpack hours at a time. <laughs> but one of one word stood out to me, which is you you were discussing how when you pulled back from competition and you just had some time of being small. And like I almost got chills when you said it because a couple of things. So one is the time backstage and side stage and side rink and under the rink and off training and all of these things. It's, you almost have to become as a performer, very selfish with that time. You have to be very protective of that time because it's the filling of the cup so that you can get out there and literally pour all of it out. Um, and then what happens when you step away in, in our collective experience is that all you have is that time, right? And so you go from having very little bandwidth to give the off time, the small quiet time to having all of the bandwidth to that, to giving that. And it's no less important, um, but the potency becomes a little overwhelming because now it's your main focus is the filling, the filling. And you're not necessarily getting the same dopamine hits of the pouring. And there was a moment um, after I retired when I was, I was on a plane and I was kind of lost in reverie about my career. And I was thinking about Jules, the ballet Jules, and um, just kind of got lost in this visual reverie of the fact that a performer's life is very much spent inside of a jewelry box. It's closed. It's dark in there, full of gems, full of special potential of sharing beauty. But the gross majority of a performer's life is spent in a black box, studio, theater, rink thing. It's dark and it's lonely and it's hard and you do it because you love it. And you do it for those moments when someone comes and opens up the box and you get to be the spinning ballerina, or you get to be the necklace that is worn and glorified. And when you said the word small, it just hit me because huge things come in small packages, <laughs> huge things, but there is this marinating that has to be done in the small in the quiet and the dark. And when you step away and you don't have as many platforms or stages from which to shine, it is just that constant marination. And if we could all just kumbaya over the power <laughs> of those seasons of our lives, whether it's during and throughout our career or after, you know, what a different um, relationship we might have with the preciousness of sharing um, and what a different bandwidth we might have to give ourselves the grace around the small moments just as much as the big. So thank you for that reflection because that really hit me. So beautiful. I mean, what an, what a powerful analogy. And I, it's, it's so true. Um, and yeah, it gives me chills just, just thinking about it and, and, um, the way it sort of gives a glimpse into what that lifestyle is like. So thank you. Yeah. That's really beautiful. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Thank you. Both of you. I'm like, wow, wow, wow. <laughs> but, um, the, the, one of the things that stood out to me that you spoke about was this validation this validation factor and the value of the validation that as performing artists is like the guiding light, right? That out, mm -hmm. that external validation and how much we rely on it because you're being judged, you're being chosen, you're being, you want to be the one that's chosen. You want to be the one that's put up on the podium, you know, these very, very much defined by how others perceive you, how others value you. And you were kind of discussing how when you left your career you or you retired, there was that stage of like 
no longer having that incoming validation to even perform for yet possibly still seeking it, but right. This sort of strange period. And um, I think that's come up a lot from a lot of the performing artists we've spoken to. And it's definitely been something Shelby and I have both experienced. And I'm curious to know in your personal life, like, cause I, I really see this as being an issue for performing artists in their personal lives, how we translate this sort of relationship we have as a performer and needing that validation and how that can show up in our relationships and our families and our friendships in our romantic relationships, that kind of conditioning. And if you've experienced that and how you kind of stepped into your power, because it sounds like you've spent a lot of time really marinating with that and shedding that. And I'd love to hear what that's been like for you. Sure. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I mean, it shows up in, in a bit of everything. And um, I think that um, sort of as we discussed a little bit ago, that idea of strength and having this very um, visible sort of shield of, of strength is something that is very difficult to let go of, whether it's in your professional life or your personal life um, as, as perfectionists. And I think that um, I, I, I certainly experienced that moving away from, from competition in terms of really struggling to let go of, of that shield, both in terms of other people perceiving that shield that I had and, and letting that shield down for myself, because I think I really clung on to, I am strong, right? I am this, I define myself as I'm, I'm the person who's resilient. I'm the person who is strong and something happens or whatever it is. I have this strength and this is who I am as a person. And I think that letting that shield down, um, for a select few people has always been my saving grace. And I'm so lucky that of course, one of those people is my husband. And um, I've always had an incredible relationship with my parents, my family. And so those very select few people have helped me navigate this, knowing who I really am, knowing that despite the fact that I'm putting on a good face and I'm, sh- I'm, I'm trying to embody this strength, working with me through, um, you know, addressing my challenges or addressing whatever, whatever, you know, I'm going through and just being there for me as a sort of work to navigate it on my own time is huge. And I also think that, um, in so many ways, I am so lucky to be able to say this. And I rec- I recognize how privileged I am to be able to say this, but in finding um, some silver lining through COVID or through the pandemic, mm-hmm. for me, I, I've been, I traveled my whole life. I was on the road, you know, 75% of the time, especially when my skating partner and I stepped away from competition and we embraced uh, professional skating and, and traveled the world. And, you know, I had, you know, work all over the place and I was just staying busy. While I'm so grateful for it, in so many ways, that busyness helped me to sort of cling to um, that shield of, well, I'm busy, or I'm, I have so many things going on, or I'm getting ready for this, or I'm preparing for that. And so um, despite how, of how difficult, of course, COVID has been for so many, I have found that sitting alone in my apartment with my husband and just being quiet and finding value in 
doing normal, quiet things that are unremarkable and, and unobserved. And it's not for the benefit of, of anyone else other than just being who we are in our own space, enjoying what it is we enjoy. Um, it's not glamorous. It's not, you know, working towards something or being better at something, but it's just being present. And I think mm -hmm. that that is something that's, that's something that has, has plagued me. And I think many artists and many, um, you know, people who, who would identify as perfectionists is because what I'm doing in the moment is, is never good enough. I'm always planning for, or I'm always working for whatever's next. And so it's very difficult to enjoy where you are or who you're with or what it is you're doing now, because you're always like, but I could do that, or I could prepare for this, or I could, this could be better. Um, and so being able to, you know, not be busy, not travel, not be planning has been really helpful for me to sort of settle into my present and settle into um, being present and accepting who I am. I, it, it doesn't mean that I can't prepare and plan, but I have been able to better embrace um, who I am now and, and love that and, and appreciate that without the like, but I'm also, I have to do this or I have to get better at that. So um, yeah, I mean, I, I, so I'm long-winded as you can tell, but, but just having the support of friends and family and then having the opportunity to let, they've really allowed me to sort of work through this on my own time, which has been so beautiful. And I will say, I would be remiss if I didn't say therapy is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Um, I, you know, all through my competitive career, I had this, you know, I had this idea that if it's not broken, don't fix it. You know, I was making progress and I, and I had a rhythm and it, in many ways, it, it did work, you know? And so I, I didn't do any sort of um, sports psychology. I didn't do any sort of therapy. And I think that's, that was potentially quite, um, it was very much a result of this idea that we talked about this, the shield, this, the strength shield, but like, I'm fine. I'm strong. Like, I don't, I don't right. need this. And, um, you know, I've, I have um, a wonderful therapist and it's, it's just been the most wonderful thing. And so if anyone out there watching this is considering therapy, yes. I say yes. <laughs> yes. And just to quickly highlight what you said, which is that you have it now, but I think what Shelby and I have seen a lot as we're speaking with institutions or as we speak with our former colleagues is that, or from our own experiences that therapy when we were dancing was kind of the last punishment. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like, here's your toolkit to support you to reach your goal and just to maintain and to have someone to be open with and to drop the shield. It was like, yeah. oh, oh, she's really, she has hit the absolute bottom of the barrel with her body, with her injury, with her whatever it is. The state is so shaken. Let's send her to the therapist rather than like, here's your toolkit, here's your program or your curriculum and your one-on-one -on -one coaching that's for your mental health so that you can really be empowered when you show up every day mm -hmm. and make just, thank you for sharing that because it's kind of the women and the men that we speak to that so clearly have been through it and, and do have therapists and do have their routines. They probably didn't have them when they needed it most. They found it mm -hmm. now. And it's like, oh, duh, but it's, so thank you. Thanks for sharing that. That's, amen. 
Absolutely. What, and I totally agree with yeah. your perspective in that, at least for me, and I don't, I don't want to say that this is necessarily true of, of every right. figure skater or figure skating culture, but um, I, I, at the time when I was competing, I perceived therapy to be, as you right. said, it's sort of like, it's a last stitch effort to yeah. like salvage, you know, oh my gosh. It feels like you're being so, punished. Yeah. 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 Instead of, uh, you know, you go to the physical therapist, you do all right. your proactive recovery. I mean, and, right. and, and this, the toolkit. So, yep. I completely agree. Right. And that it's not something you reach for in an emergency state. It's something that's already just dialed within you that you can pull up. And we had this conversation about performance anxiety, which actually would be an amazing question to ask you, you know, did you experience that kind of performance anxiety that went, went beyond the nervous butterflies that kind of bring you to life, but that would almost become a hindrance. And, um, mm-hmm. and that we were, Shelby and I were sharing our experience with what, what those experiences were and how looking back, I was like, gosh, darn, if I had just known how to do a visual meditation and had could have made that my routine rather than a hysterical like 20 times run through the variation or this the uh routine you know yeah did you have you experienced that type of performance anxiety or um I would be curious to hear about your experiences and we can talk about that more offline if you know if you don't want to talk about it now um I would say truthfully while I had performance anxiety and I was always very nervous, that was definitely, um, I think that was, uh, was a strength of mine. Um, and I found great comfort in having a partner. You know, I, I started competing, um, like most figure skaters, um, in singles by myself. And, um, I would like, I would not be able to eat for like weeks at a time before I competed. I was so nervous and, um, it was, it was not, you know, a fun experience at all. And yet when I started skating with my, my partner, Charlie, when I was, I was nine, when we started skating together, um, I found that, you know, holding someone else's hand, you know, whom I, whom I trusted and sharing that experience. And, and I think you, you guys probably change partners and you change who you're dancing with on stage, um, from one ballet or, or, you know, one job to the next, Um, Whereas I had chart from the time I was nine until, you know, even now when we're skating, but certainly through my competitive career, I always had Charlie. And so having that sounding board off the ice and that person with whom I was presenting our work to the world when we were competing um, was a, it was a very safe place. And so while I certainly, as we've explored, I experienced, you know, a lot of anxiety and, and a lot of, um, you know, it, it was certainly not, not all butterflies and rainbows along the way, but I will say that I found such comfort in having a partner to go through it with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had my little things, you know, I like, I, um, cracked my knuckles all the time and, and I would be holding Charlie's hand, cracking my knuckles. He'd be like, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> he, could, he could notice that as I was cracking my fingers in his hand, he was like, oh my <laughs> yeah. God, she's getting real nervous. Um, but yeah, but yeah, I would say, yeah. Um, it was, it was once I had, uh, that partner to go through it with and, and we had our routines, the ability to have a trusted partner and then also have a process and like preparation to rely on. Um, yeah. I always found very, very comforting. 
I love that. I actually, I love that so much. And it, it is true that even just ta- like holding someone's hand, you know, mm-hmm. it's one thing, if you know them, there's just a whole nother level of like a physiological response mm-hmm. to that in terms of managing anxiety and nerves. But like, I was just on a plane and I had horrible turbulence and I just grabbed the person's arm sitting next to me, complete stranger immediately. My heart just would just like slowed. So can only imagine the connection, you know, that you guys built and what a gift to experience, you know, to share your talent, to share your work under the world's eyes with that type of comfort in the palm of your hand is extraordinary. But I'd love to circle back for a moment on what you said about, um, being present and the practice of that that's happened unobserved in unremarkable ways. Mm. So one of the things I actually miss most about my career is that one of the only times I feel like I am most acutely present was performing, Mm. right? It's just that time where you're thinking of nothing else, but exactly what you're doing. And it's, you go into a flow state if you're, if you're on, and there's just something very, very special about the container of that presence. And I have found that mindful practices, which were admittedly not my jam during my career, um, is the next, the next best thing of being like, okay, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to watch my inhales and watch my exhales. It is absolutely unobserved, absolutely unremarkable, but does give you that opportunity to be like, this is me in my body. And I am, Mm -hmm. and that is remarkable and that's enough. Um, and so I would love to know if you incorporated incorporated during your career or afterwards, any type of ritual or mindful practice, yoga, meditation, what have you, um, maybe those, maybe it's your therapy sessions for you, which is incredible, but anything that worked to kind of help you dial back into you. You're talking post-competitive career? Perhaps during and after. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think that having my (laughs) routine was so, um, therapeutic and it was, it was kind of like meditation. I mean, it was, I wasn't, uh, practicing meditation, but, um, you know, even my plan of sitting in front of a mirror in the hotel room, doing my makeup for, you know, an hour before leaving the hotel room to go to the rink was this just sort of, um, I was just going through the motions and it, I found such comfort in, not having to think about it and just, it was so familiar that I think little things like that brought me great comfort. Um, and also I think I, (laughs) I am an extreme introvert. And so I always found talking or having to be social ahead of performing, particularly at competitions, so draining and exhausting. And luckily, um, my skating partner, Charlie, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure he would identify as an extrovert, but, um, you know, he would, he would talk to me and, and sort of talk on our behalf, just because I was just in my little bubble. Yep. And so having that partnership and having our sort of unspoken, Um, way of doing things you know we would arrive at the rink and we would have an hour to do this and then we would do you know sort of the exact same thing we'd been doing since we were like 10 and so it was a kind of um, meditation it was a kind of therapy in that the familiarity of it put me into this place of being able to perform because I could let go of micromanaging everything and thinking about is this going well or how do I do this or how do I do that because once I entered that little bubble of we can make up now, I get on the bus, I go and I, we do our usual warm up, and Charlie and I do this, and Charlie will talk to me about that. It um, 
it just brought me such comfort. And um, you mentioned flow. And, and I think that that's, it's, you were saying that that's something, um, Shelby, that you miss most about your career. And I will say, for me, that feeling of knowing that I have put in absolutely everything humanly possible to be at my best is something that I miss most. Um, leaving no stone unturned. And at the end of the day, whether it was at a competition or training at home, I remember coming home from the rink on just like an, a normal day thinking, I have fully done my job today. Like there's nothing else I need. I'm exhausted. I did my warm up. I did my skating. I did my, you know, cool down, whatever it is. And I think that's something that's really hard to find moving away from that structure, moving away from um, the physical work and, and finding fulfillment in, you know, knowing that you've done everything you possibly physically can is something that I definitely miss now. Um, and especially as I make my way into, you know, new, um, you know, a new chapter and, and new challenges off the ice, it's very difficult for me to feel as like satiated by the work and as fulfilled in saying, okay, I can check today off the list because I've done everything I possibly can. And I don't know if that's specifically because the work is more, it's like sitting work now as opposed to physical um, exertion. But um, yeah, little things like that, I definitely miss a lot about uh, being in that really familiar place and, and knowing what my job is and, and my capacity to do it. Amazing. I, I, I very much relate to that ritual, that meditative ritual of the, all the lead up before that flow state of the performance, but the makeup, the little bar I would do, the couple of exercises, the playlist that was like, not speaking to anyone and knowing that everyone knew, like, don't speak to Jessica, but those things that were to hold the space for me. Um, but what I wanted to ask you as we're kind of wrapping up here, um, and you just sort of spoke to it. So I think it's a natural segue is what is this next chapter for you now that you seem to be just really embodied and grounded in your present and with a reverence for where you've come from, that's very I admire it because I can see the love and the, the, how much you honor where you've come from and how ready you are to be in this stage now of like this, this stage of Meryl. And I'd love to know, you know, what is this stage for you? And is there some kind of intention or, or goal that you're striving towards in who you are becoming, or are you just letting it unravel? You know, where are you now? Yeah. Well, thank you for saying that. That's so nice of you. And I, and I think I recognize um, it's definitely it like this, what I'm working towards is not a, one of my coaches used to say, well, it's not a one-time achievement. Like you got to keep, it's a continual process and it's something that, you know, I'm, I, I, and, and I think all of us will have to continue to work on, you know, all our lives for the most part. Um, I think that, at some point following the 2014 Olympics, I really, I, I and, and some figure skaters, unlike a lot of other athletes, had the opportunity to perform professionally and so have a career and, you know, support myself and, and have professional opportunities doing what I know that I loved while also spending time figuring out what's next. And so I count myself so lucky in that I didn't have to say, okay, well, I have to figure out how to pay the bills like today or, you know, next month because I've been skating professionally 
since Sochi um, pretty much full time. And so I decided years ago that that was just such a blessing and it was just such a rare thing to be able to, you know, do that and and do what I loved and continue skating um, professionally while also allowing myself to dabble in different things and fail and, and figure it out, figure out with trial and error what I enjoyed and, and what I didn't. And I did that for a really long time. And so I was actively trying to figure it out without having any sort of like timeline or expectation of when I wanted to figure it out and what it was I was trying to figure it out. But um, what I, what it was I was trying to figure out. But I would say for me, one of the lessons I really want to try to take with me into my next chapter, um, and I am still trying to figure it out, figure out what that is, but I have gained a lot of clarity. Thankfully, it's, it's nice to be able to, to feel that I've gained clarity is, um, you know, Charlie and I won an Olympic silver medal in Vancouver in 2010. And then we spent the next four years working, um, you know, to get on top of the podium in 2014. And it was a wonderful experience, a lot of pressure, but being able to now look back on my career of, you know, being an Olympic silver medalist, what that experience was like, an Olympic gold medalist, and sort of like the time in between, it really helps me to try to figure out how I want to approach my life and my career moving forward. Because um, while I'm, I'm certainly proud to be an Olympic gold medalist, and I'm so grateful for that experience, I was not like happier or more fulfilled or like a better person or cooler or anything being on that top place on the podium than I was, um, you know, standing in second place. And I think I was, when Charlie and I won um, silver in 2010, we were so proud of the work that we had done. We were so proud of where we were. It, it in no way felt like a loss. It in no way felt like it was less than. And so I think that I really want to try to, to remember um, that feeling of, you know, being completely satisfied within yourself and, and the work that you're doing. And that's where you find value. Um, you know, so many people ask me like, where are your, where are your medals? And, and the medals themselves, while it is fun to share with other people, um, and it, it's, you know, it's fun to hold it in my hand. It doesn't really mean that much to me. You know, it's, it's the work um, that I'm proud of that took to get you know, to achieve those and the relationships that I built along the way that I hold so dear now. And it has really nothing to do with the achievement or the medal itself. And so um, one of the things that I'm hoping to continue to embrace more moving forward is writing. I absolutely love writing. Um, you know, fiction is something that I'm hoping to pursue. But um, I guess I, I think, and I'm sorry, again, I'm so long-winded, but I, I realized at a very young age that I loved skating regardless of whether or not I was going to be successful at it or people were watching me. It was something that I loved doing from a very pure place. And um, it's, it has been very difficult for me to find something that I feel that passionate about, like whether or not someone's paying me, whether or not somebody's observing me, I, I will do this because it like fills my cup, like you said. Um, and for me, I think I've, I've realized through COVID that writing is really 
um, it's, it's very similar to skating for me in that it's something that I feel passionate about. It's something I love doing regardless of, you know, the outcome. And so that's something that I'm hoping to, to pursue and, and I'm actively pursuing now. Um, but definitely trying to apply those, the perspective and, and the lessons I learned, um, in skating along the way. Well, that was a Ted talk and I'll be. Right <laughs> <again>. <laughs> oh, thank you. Wow. Wow. I mean, I've read so many studies, psychological studies that they've done on, um, the mindsets and mental metabolism of gold, um, silver and bronze medalists. And Mm -hmm. what's fascinating me right now, Meryl, is that often across the board, silver medalists struggle the most because Mm -hmm. they didn't make it just, they didn't make it to the podium, which is what bronze medalists can feel like, well, we made it, you know, but they didn't win. And so it's Mm -hmm. this like almost there-ness, you know, Mm -hmm. and you just completely flip the script in the most Mm -hmm. powerful and poignant way. Um, also didn't even mention that you just published a children's book while you're <laughs> traveling and active writing. So <laughs> to you. close, to close, thank you for shifting the paradigm and for using the platform that you have worked so hard to make your way onto for redesigning what that platform looks like and can look like uh, for the world of figure skating, for the world of professional athletes and professional writers. Um, and I think what's so cool just to bring this conversation full circle is that you did make your way up to the top of the Olympic podium, which is, you know, just a globe. It's just an incredible feat. Um, but what excites me the most is that that's just a staircase and you're still climbing. You made it to one top and you're still climbing and you're still thirsty to evolve your art and your athleticism and your industry and your interests in such a curious and open-minded and very humble and woke way. Um, from someone, from someone that's achieved as much as you have, I just, I honor you so much for that. It's really inspiring. Thank you you so much. I I so appreciate that. And I mean, you guys are incredible. And I, as I said at the beginning, I can't wait to continue following along on these chats and the work you're doing with this platform because it's so powerful. And I, and I think that, um, it, it will be obviously applicable and powerful for um, performing artists and athletes, but I think that the the messages and and the um, sort of the topics that you're leaning into will be so helpful to and applicable to anyone across the board. Yeah. So I can't wait to continue following. It's really it's really amazing. Thank you, Meryl. Thank you, Meryl. What's the name of your book and where can people get it? Yes, uh, it's called Moonwalk, and people can get it the link in my Instagram bio or so our, um, the publisher that I worked with is called puppy dogs and ice cream. It's also available. So you can go to their website or it's also available on Amazon. And, um, I believe it will be available in retailers shortly as well. So, but yeah, thank you. It's been, it's been a nice introduction to, um, to this world of, of writing. So it's, it's, it's been a great experience so far, which is, it's nice that it, it's, uh, it's, it's been a nice foray and it encourages me to continue moving forward with that. Oh, Meryl, I'm so excited to share this conversation. Like, I'm just, this is, you're incredible. This is going to inspire so many people. And thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, Oh, you guys are amazing. Thank you. And I want to hear more of your stories as well. I mean, you guys have such, it's so obvious, um, the work that you guys have both done you know, whether reading studies or having conversations with, um, you know, your peers, it's just so, it's so powerful to hear your perspectives and, and the, the learnings that you guys have, have done. So 
yeah, it's so cool. I mean, I just, I really, I'm, I'm not just saying it. I just can't wait to follow along because, um, yeah, for obvious reasons. So, yeah. Amazing. Thank you guys. Thank, Thank you, you so much for having me. Your gift, your gift, heart of gold, most importantly. <laughs>